we all have, we're all encoded like that seed. We're all encoded with the potentiality of 10,000 forests. One oak tree can produce up to 10,000 forests by all the seeds it potentially can drop and plant and grow again. We have a divine assignment, I believe. Aristotle calls it our calling, where your passions meet the needs in the world. Therein lies your calling. And it goes so much deeper than that, of course. Yet it's about what is it that makes us come alive? And why aren't we living there? Because that's, you know, where our potential gift is to the world. And maybe that's what we all need to be showing up with. The book has really moved me. It takes incredible courage to share on the level that you shared. Welcome to In Search of the New Compassionate Male. My name is Clay Boykin. I support this podcast through my coaching practice. I help people visualize and harmonize, find direction and meaning, or simply get unstuck. Contact me at clayboykin.com for a free consultation. Now here's the latest episode of In Search of the New Compassionate Male. Hello world, it's me, Dennis, and we are in search of the new compassionate male. I'm the co-host of this particular podcast. I'm here with the founder, Clay Boykin. Hello, Clay. Hey, Dennis. My dear friend, Sandy Hart, is back. Sandy and I met in 2018, the fall of 2018, at the Parliament of the World's Religions. Mm. And I can tell you, she took me under her wing and was instrumental in moving forward the work that we've been doing with men raising compassion consciousness in men and we're just pleased to have her here she's got a new book and we're going to talk about that and whatever comes up oh wonderful how wonderful welcome sandy well thank you so much i am thrilled to be here i am thrilled to be here and you didn't stand under my wing too long <laughs> you flew right out, right on out of there and look what you've managed and you and Dennis together are amazing and breathtaking to behold we're, Thanks, we're you know we're what we're thank you Sandy it is uh, how gracious of you it is it is amazing to me because we we still see the power structure that is still predominantly male and certainly predominantly white male and older white male as we're seeing this. So the power structure and the dynamics are, are, are shifting to this wonderful interdependence, this wonderful collection uh, of knowing that, that the world is a yes and rather than a than an or gate. And, and this is the place where you're playing with your new book and all. And can you talk a little bit about what's going on and what your what 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 has impelled you to write this wonderful poem? Yes, thank you. Um, Well, first of all, yes, we are definitely in an evolutionary growth spurt. And, you know, um, you had two very dear friends of mine on your program not too long ago, Connie Baxter Marlowe and Andrew Cameron Bailey, who wrote The Trust Frequency. And one of their 10 um, assumptions is, um, or, or 10, uh, yeah, I think the 10 assumptions, mm-hmm. um, are, um, that our, we are, humanity is an upward spiral motion, but I challenge that. And I love Connie and Andrew, and I will respectfully have the same conversation with them, but why is it we keep spiraling? What is it that, that keeps us coming back around and moving up ever so gently? or at such a, what is it that keeps us from elevating at such a slower pace? 
-hmm. And right now it feels like the trajectory is accelerated and it's going up straight. I don't see it coming back around to the very point of what you're working on. And that's the patriarchy and, and the domination trance that we've been yes. walking through that Dr. Rian Eisler speaks of. Um, and because we are walking through these assumptions of the way things used to be mm-hmm. that, that male and female feminine and masculine have these different identities, but now we're pulling back the veil on that. And um, and those assumptions that no longer serve us with the work that you are doing, which is so critically profound to that. You've really gone right to the heart of that darkness. It served us. Patriarchy has served yeah. us. Um, it's yet it's time has come. Well, it's time for it to evolve. It's time for it to move to the next level, like you're saying. Right. Isn't it something? And I know I'm guilty of this of trying to hold on to the past, you know, I wish things were the way they used to be. Well, think about that. I don't, I really don't think I want that, but I keep migrating back and it's almost like I'm not going to change until I have to change until the pressures are such that, that I've got no choice, but to change. And uh, I feel like that's where we are in the world right now. Yeah. That's a creative tension that always comes before great change. So we can bless that creative tension, you know, the piling on of crises that we, I don't even have to name here, Mm -hmm. but then we can look at the things that are changing, the assumptions that are falling off, like what we consider identity, what we consider feminine and masculine even. Um, Yeah. And so we're, and the way technology has been accelerating and speeding up and, and um, created lots of havoc in our life. It's also, helped us consciously grow because we have information coming at us so quickly Mm -hmm. that we have no choice but to expand our mind and our thinking and our ability to 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 um to receive information yeah so it's that and it's both it's both the great tension with the great it's like when you put a seed in the ground the seed first has to disintegrate before new life can grow from it Right. And what grows from it looks very different from the seed. Right. Mm. We're at that place in evolution where we could see both the seed and the sprout. Mm. It's wildly wonderful time to be alive. Gosh. Progress. I, I go back to, to Dana White talking with us and the, the myth of progress, you know, and, um, you know, how it's been going for the past 500 years. You know, the whole idea of technology and faster and faster and faster. In contrast, though, he talks about the myth of the fall, the story of the fall, you know, progress, but there's the downside to it. And we're certainly seeing that um, accentuated right now. Yeah. And from Joseph Campbell, from Death Comes Life. Mm, yeah. and we look at all the myths. So stories are dying. And we have a choice. It is our moment of choice. It, do we want to be midwives or, or casualties? Yeah, well, it is. And, and in your book, and I'm going to name your book. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> the book is titled The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Spaces in Between. It's a beautiful mm. book. And in it, you reference the joseph campbell's hero's journey 
but you've got a twist or you've got a modification or you've added to it. Can you talk about that some, Sandy? Yeah, I found that um, I originally set out to frame my these stories that appeared to me in my life um, in, in the hero's journey and started doing my own charting of what was happening in my life, if I could look at it through that lens. And the hero's journey really fell short for me. And I realized that the, line, the, the linear fashion of the hero's journey is kind of specific. First comes the call to action, then comes the appearance of allies and wizards and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And I think you can, be, you can be all of these things at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I close my book on a real great example, if I do say so myself, on the call to action and the resurrection, step one and step ten together. Oh. Oh, and I, what, so it's spiral. It's not even a spiral. It zigs and it zags. It bops around. It's thank all you. things at once. All right, may I may I use a metaphor, please? Uh, when when we had back when Joseph Campbell was writing this, we were very much in a linear world. It was a v- very much of one thing happened after another. We did this when very much in 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 our uh, in our process. This is what the the. Uh, <clears throat> This is the pre the digital immigrants. These are this is the pre that, that we had. But the the today it's a nonlinear world. So that the kids like okay, so he's eighteen and wants to have his midlife crisis at eighteen. Go ahead and have it. Get it out of the way and continue on. So I love that idea because we can actually we can actually create the journey at the time when we need it, rather than having it prescribed for us. Absolutely. And that has something to do with patriarchy, too. Thinking Things are a certain way because that's just the way they are, because someone prescribed them that way. And we're waking up and going, hmm, I don't think so. How, what, what is the courage that it takes for you to be out on the leading edge to be able to do this? Because you're going, because you have to be willing to be able to have people go, oh, are you okay? What? Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> And I go like this, like, teach, teach. I thought it was, I thought it was bring it on, bring it on. It is, but this is teach, teach. I love that. And I, and I actually, I say, listen, will you read my book and then go to Amazon and leave a review? And I can, and even this, even a crunchy one, even one that isn't glowing. That's how I have to learn these things. That's part of my liminal odyssey. I have to be able to clear all the stuff that doesn't serve me. I don't have to agree with you, but you know, when you talk about courage, um, yeah, vulnerability is required if you're going to sit down and write a book, right, Clay? <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's required in a liminal odyssey. But I think you're only as strong as your willingness to be vulnerable. Well, I want to ask you, liminal odyssey. How, yeah. how did you come up with the title? You know, I, I didn't set out to write a book about liminal space. I did not even know what liminal meant until about a year ago. And even then I learned it to mean threshold and the space between crisis and choice or crisis and action. And, um, you know, before that, I was starting to write a, um, a I've been trying to write a story about something that happened to me in 1982 at the Rose Bowl at a no nukes rally called mm-hmm. Peace Sunday. 
I've told this story before. It's this remarkable story. It had some synchronistic stories that lasted over the course of 30 years. I'm like, I got to tell this story. Or others are saying, you've got to tell this story. But I didn't have enough of a story to write. And as I'm as I'm sitting down to write it again, um, I started really paying attention to what was going on inside of me, what caused what what it was that prompted me in that moment to create what was a wave of a critical mass to care about a single dog in the midst of a hundred thousand people at a no nukes rally. lasted 12 hours (laughs) (laughs) tell us about the dog (laughs) what about the dog um yeah so the it was a no nukes rally and music festival it was tucked right between woodstock and live aid it was a cause concert so in between the activists and the speakers and the musicians there were moments of silence now earlier in the day uh the mc hit or right right from the very start the mc came to the microphone and said, hey, we just got a report from the parking lot. Somebody left their dog in the car. If that's your dog, please go roll your windows down. There was a low-grade boo, and then, you know, everyone forgot about it, except for me. And, you know, speaker, I think it was Reverend Jesse Jackson, comes to the microphone, says some words of wisdom, leaves, and before the band can start playing, the first band, I think it was Toto, I don't remember, <laughs> um, um, Taj Mahal, it was Taj Mahal, um, <laughs> sitting, um, started singing or playing their music. I just started chat shouting, what about the dog? What about the dog? I was relentless. I was the relentless irritant. So they would have to answer. I'm thinking, surely they care about the dog. Surely they'll report back. And then my moment came again after the band was done before the next speaker could come to the mic. I started again, only now my friends started with me didn't take long before our whole section started. Mm-hmm. By noon, the whole stadium was chanting, what about the dog? It took off without me and lasted until 10 o'clock. At, well, no, it was more like 7 o'clock when the MC came to the microphone and said, so you want to know about the dog? The dog is fine. Now, <clears throat> odds are they just realized they would have to have calm the, the, you know, answer that big question of the day because Mr. Stevie Wonder was coming and asking for five minutes of silence for, to pray for world peace. But that was a story that I had no other story to tell at an event one, you know, time 15 or 20 years later. And then someone said, wow, that's a great story. You should really tell that story. And it grew legs on its own. And I sat down to write about what was going on inside of me that got me to open my mouth. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I get liminal now. I get, okay, there was my crisis, and here was my call to action in the hero's journey. And what was going on inside of me? Reverent listening. I was uh, reverent listening. So um, the more I started writing about that experience and what was going on inside of me and what was reverent listening, the sacred art of listening, other stories started kind of, you know, lining up. And they were all wildly synchronistic. And they were all anchored in a different skill, whether it was, um, whether it's um, the trust frequency, that's a chapter mm-hmm. in my book, um, recognizing your archetype. And I frame that in the goddess archetype, maiden, mother, and crone, 
but you can also be all three at a, at the, at a time, which I yes. claim I live in generally. Um, and um, listening to your body and understanding mindfulness in a different way. So each story is anchored with a different skill set. And then I stood back and I went, oh, wait, all those skills together. I pulled them out and I looked at them and I'm like, independently, they've all got merit. Independently, they're all really powerful and respected practices. And they are all practices, which, by the way, neuro, neuroplasticity and how Dr. James Doty, who has also been a guest, has influenced me greatly. And um, but what happens when you practice them together? There's that coherence. There's that coherence that that um, where the collect the 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 the, indip- the individual skills collectively are greater than the sum of their parts. So we have to practice reverent listening in order for us to understand trust, for us to understand you know the biology and how our our body is wired for compassion, how to understand what the multisensory perception is that Gary Zukav speaks of, to understand that thoughts happen outside of ourselves that Dr. James Lipton talks about and James Hillman and all those that came before him. And, and you know, of course, giving credit respectfully, but how collectively they are interdependent, mutually supportive, and create their own constellation. And I'm like, okay, this is sounding like a preachy book. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to write a preachy book because like I said, I, I'm here to learn. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and I thought, wait, what would happen if I took other like Ayurveda, which I, I, or, or the chakra systems and understanding crystals and all of that, or whatever skills that you, you as the reader, you know, find super helpful. What happens when you just put them in that Petri dish and mix it up? It works. It works, you know, for everything. So, yeah, um, I've got, I've got a, like, I'm looking at a bookshelf with 300 books and probably 250 different modalities and methodologies, but they're single, they're single processes. What happens when you take all the processes we already know that work for us and put them together? That's the liminal odyssey when you can stop in the spaces in between and apply those skills and expand what may seem like a mundane, otherwise unremarkable experience, like an MC <laughs> saying, hey, somebody left their dog in the car. Sandy. What happens? And it's still going on. I'm still having synchronistic events from that. It didn't make it into the book, by the way. <laughs> the, not, the, maybe not this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, Perhaps. Sandy, I keep going back to the dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what started out as you as an individual and then two people to make a wave, a hundred thousand people making that wave, it hit me like a tsunami. And how long has it been? How many years? And it was so powerful the way you wrote it and the way you shared it. It. It really hit me. Like it's hit me now. And uh, so, yeah, and that's just the start of the book. <laughs> Stop. This is so holy to, to want to see, to participate in this, because this, 
what what I love about what the the precursor to that time is how quickly we can connect on the internet now, mm-hmm. how quickly we can get a wonderful idea out there, how quickly we can get the opportunity to be able to let people know what's wonderful. And we in the news business uh, have have been lazy and lazy in the sense that we will we will only focus on something that is sensational whereas something that is powerful this liminal space being being able to sit there in this in this space is is where it all happens without it nothing else occurs i actually talk about in the sacred art of listening talking about how we've been duped that um, to receive so much information so quickly, just look at TV commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Absorb all this information, but there's not enough time to stop and think, is that really what I consider happiness? Is that going to make my life better if I buy that car? Yeah. You know, but I do have time to call the number, right? <laughs> I, can rem- I can remember that number, but I can't remember the, the stop in the moment. Sacred art of listening, by the way, is how to prepare to listen, not the act of listening, but how to prepare to listen. And so um, I think it's really important to, to really pay attention to how much we listen. And that's a practice. It, it, it is a habit to form. And we can do that through neuroplasticity. All of these skills can be practiced mm-hmm. and accomplished just like any other habit you want to form with repetition. What, what is this book leading you to do differently in your life than you had before because something is it's palpable there is some there there is something that is so dynamic about where you are right now and what you're bringing which is going to bring opportunities that are are increasing in what you're what you're doing I'm, I'm fascinated to know what's going on wow thank you so much um, my first answer is I don't know which is my favorite thing to say because that means I'm not attached. That means I can really listen and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And that is so against the character of who I used to be, right? I used to feel like I need to be in control. I need to chart my way. I've got my goals. We have our vision board. We know ultimately we want to have this house on the beach, you know, with all the, you know, certain material things. Exactly, and, exactly yeah. this way, yeah. On the sidelines with our grandkids playing soccer, no doubt about mm-hmm. that. And I believe that could happen or will happen. I should say, I believe that will happen. Mm-hmm. But in terms of where I'm going, how has it changed me was your question? Um, or what have I noticed in myself? Yeah. Time noticing. Let's, let's just put, what are you noticing right, noticing. right now as it's yeah. happening? Oh, yeah. Big difference there. Um, yeah. The timefulness. My, the, the, a word that I coined, timefulness. Timefulness. Which is, it's like being mindful, but oh. now we're being timeful. So it's like, it's not just taking a pause and collecting yourself, which it does involve, but it's going, okay, what's going on in my body? What are my, tr- are my trillion cells speaking to me right now? 37 trillion cells to be exact. Yeah. What are they saying to me? You know, how am I feeling in my body right now? What's going on around me? What am I missing? You know, it's really applying those, those skills in, in terms of timefulness, the spaces in between. Um, and I'm not so quick to judge. I'm definitely um, more careful in my responses, care-full in my responses. And um, I just 
and and more courageous. Like like all a lot of the muck has just fallen away. Um, a lot of stuff that I realized. Why aren't I doing that? Am I wait? Am I? You know, I, I I'm not. I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not educated enough, all that blah, blah, blah that we hear that, you know, for years women say to themselves way too much. And I can't yes. speak for men. I can only hear what I hear from, say what I hear from women. And, um, but it's not that it's really embodying that. So they go, I've only got probably a good 30, 40 more years on this planet. Sure. So I'm going to max it out. The last 40 years have been, a, or sorry, <laughs> my kidding. The last 60 years. <laughs> there, oh, there's my subliminal. Um, subliminal. Um, mm-hmm. So, six, you know, my last 60 years have been incredibly wild and wonderful. And so, yeah. And also, I was just talking about this uh, the other day on another program about forgiveness. Oh, and nice. looking at the big T traumas, a couple of which I share in the book. So talk about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, The big T traumas that I had in the moment, I would think, oh my God, this is the worst possible thing. That 30 years later, I would come to see where the greatest blessings. So I I remember that now something's not working out for me. Even something like being late. I'm like, okay, what am I being, um, because I hate being late. And for me, that's a, that there's something that I must have been traumatized as a child because for me being late is like being rude. So I don't want to be late, but, but okay. I wonder what I'm being protected from right now. Mm-hmm. I wonder what's going to happen on the other end. Somebody socks me in the throat figuratively, breaks my mm-hmm. heart, keeps me in bed for three months. It didn't mm-hmm. happen that long ago. And yeah. I, and I was, you know, really devastated yet. If I, if that were to happen to me now, I'd say, I can't wait to see what this is all about. Mm. So that's part of the timefulness too, that I, I have only noticed happening to me. I didn't necessarily will it practicing these other skills. And of course, writing about it sure, sure does help, but really embodying it, you know, yeah. I'd yeah. be a hypocrite if I didn't practice this stuff. And I do. Oh yes. But that's, the, <laughs> that, that's really the whole key to it. I've never known a teacher. I've never known a teacher that that impacted me that did not walk there first did not do the walk first and then say okay there that's the teaching that's the teaching and that's what i'm getting from you sandy that's what i'm getting an an opportunity to be able to know uh there is this opportunity because i love the i love the give part in forgive Mm. and really really the gift Uh, that there is for me, what I am holding on to what I'm because I've got a lot of self, I grew up with a lot of, uh, we as men uh, had a something that Clay and I have both experienced that had a model out there that we were supposed to live up to that inside of us went, that's not who I am. And this is allowing us this, the, the patriarch that we're all wounded by the patriarchy in the sense that it allows us to be able to let go of that, to be able to have the, the to, for me to embody who I am and whoever that is. And that's what I get from you. I, I, there, there's such a deep authenticity about, about you that just is profoundly moving and, and, pick, and, and where you are right now 
I'm going to pick right up on that, Dennis, because, yeah, what about the dog? But every story that you share in there, the vulnerability that you're expressing in your book, every story has got yes. a real power to it. And I'm, I'm, I'm savoring it. If I can, I'm going to, because I really want us to, I really want to hear about this. I want to race to chapter 12. Oh, thank you. And by the way, can I just go back and say, Clay, sure. you helped me with forgiveness. Remember, we had a conversation while I was writing the book. Mm. So credit where credit's due. I, <laughs> I, you really helped me understand, and you reframed everything for me. So you are totally in the fabric of, you are in between the words on mm. that chapter. So chapter 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About acorn rain. Yeah. I, in Birkenau. In Birkenau. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share about that? Yeah. Um, I was part of the One Humanity Institute, a group of folks who are in, still in existence, working on a project to build an education system right there in Auschwitz, right adjacent to the grounds of the Auschwitz Museum, mm-hmm. the death camp. And, and um, we did a tour there, and then we went across the way to Birkenau, which was another death camp. And while we were in the, by the way, while I was going through the tour, the very first thing I noticed after I walked through those very famous uh, uh, wrought iron archway words, uh, uh, work will set you free is what that says in German. Um, I noticed the trees lining the walkways. Now they were rather young, but mm-hmm. I imagine, gosh, if those, I wonder maybe those trees have been here for about 80 years. Perhaps they have been here long enough. And I reached around and I hugged one. That's mm. all I could do was think about the trees and what stories they absorbed and what scenes they saw and what did they witness. And um, and so I was really seeing this whole thing through the trees. And then we get over to Birkenau and we've done the whole tour, gutted, by the way. And we get to the end of the like a big park area, the end of the tour. And there's this big park area where there are monuments and things and burnt down buildings. And um, there was this gorgeous grandmother oak tree. She Her trunk was so big that my arms would probably take three sets of arms to get around her trunk. So I'm like, she's been here a while. She's witnessed it all. And I asked permission and I wrapped my arms around her ever so gently and I can almost feel her exhale. I don't think I wrote this in the book. But I can still feel it felt like the trunk was mm. Just, mm. just relaxed. And then all of a sudden, I hear raindrops behind me. And I look. And I'm being showered by acorns. And I turned to Nina Meyerhoff, by the way, who wrote my foreword in my book. And I said, she was walking towards me. I go, did you see that? <laughs> Again, like, what about the dog? I was wondering if it really happened. So I saw that. And mm-hmm. so the acorn is run. I've got the acorn right there. So the, for me, what was so profound about that experience, and I can come around to well, maybe what reminded you about that with forgiveness, but, you know, we're all, we all have, we're all encoded like that seed. We're all encoded with the potentiality of 10,000 forests. One oak tree can produce up to 10,000 forests by all the seeds it potentially can drop and plant 
and grow again. We have a divine assignment, I believe. Aristotle calls it our calling, where your passions meet the needs in the world. Therein lies your calling. And it goes so much deeper than that, of course. Yet it's about what is it that makes us come alive? And why aren't we living there? Because that's, you know, where our potential gift is to the world. And maybe that's what we all need to be showing up with. So for me, that's, you know, the whole nut, excuse the expression of the story. The next morning, I was up for a early jet lag stroll, which I was usually up around 4 a.m. And I took a little walk in the quaint little town of Auschwitzen, which is Polish for Auschwitz, or Auschwitz is Polish for Auschwitzen. And over this quaint little walking bridge, I stood right in the middle with the river going right under me. And the lush greenery up and down the riverbed was so pretty. And like I had done throughout the whole town, wondered where Jews would have hidden. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if they hid there. But now these, these, the greenery is all home for new life, for critters, for birds. The trees are putting oxygen in the air. And I'm thinking, isn't that interesting? And then all of a sudden I realized the river I was standing over was the very river that the concentration camps had dumped the ashes of the prisoners in to hide the, to hide the evidence. And I'm thinking, oh, that's why the, everything is so lush, because all of that greenery, all, all of those banks absorbed all of those souls. And then I saw souls in the tree and I, trees, and I heard this. We choose love. Of course, we choose love. Anything else does not serve our memory. And, and then I felt just go forth and be in love. And that is a, that's a big, tall order to forgive that. But remember, what would, our, what would they all want us to be? Would they want us to be bitter down here? How uh, could it? I, I don't see how it could be any other way. Yeah. And I heard it from them. And it was so clear. And I can feel it now. Yeah. And the book was actually going to be called uh, Acorn, Rain, and Birkenau. That was my working title. Because to me, that's a culmination the ability to recognize what was going on in that moment was the culmination of everything leading up to that point in the book. You know, I, I, I think about that. I think about the concept of uh, when, when we think of, of either atheism or agnosticism or, or in all the different spiritualities, and it all comes down for me it, that God is love. It's the actual, I know I felt it. I have felt God. I have felt God because I have loved. That is the, it filters through all my own biases and, and, and uh, limitations and all, but, but I get a chance to feel the direct stuff. And the people that have, that have that pure main line of it, Buddha or Jesus or any of the other great, that, you know, they, they all, that what they did was to, they were at one with perfect love. And uh, that that love space. So that's that's where that's where I I choose to say that we none of us 
can be agnostic because we feel love. And that love, just we just happen to name it. We put a name on it and say, okay, God and all that. But it's but at its essence, it's love. I felt love several times during this call. Mm. I fall in love yep. all day long. All day long. Especially with strangers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I I mean yeah, I love I love just watching people. I, yeah. I just yeah. feel the love. Yeah, Thomas Thomas Merton, in conjectures from of a bystander, uh, he talks about how he falls. He just had an epiphany. That was just it was the epiphany actually, mm-hmm. um, the epiphany that he just loved all these people, and I was theirs, and they are mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sandy. Um, it, this comes up a lot, and and I think it's even been on the podcast before. But this idea of intergenerational uh, trauma, mm. and you know, what can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So thank you. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are all carrying some baggage, yeah. right? Our our cellular memory has been loaded up. <laughs> <laughs> And, and a, a lot of it's really good stuff, right? We've inherited some great stuff, and we've her- inherited a lot of stuff that doesn't serve us and keeps coming back around. And um, when I was noticing some patterns in my life with relationships, a friend said, you need to go ritualize, uh, kind of go back and look at what, what happened to you um, where – that same kind of problem first emerged or could have first emerged and ritualize it. Then call in your ancestors and your angels or whoever you want to call in and have conversations about it and ask good questions. And so it kind of set me on the path to looking into intergenerational trauma. Um, And then um, I found myself co-producing a Passover Seder with Dr. Rianne Eisler Mm -hmm. and, um, and Starhawk, and some other amazing women, and Dr. Rabbi Terza Firestone, a big friend, Rabbi Dr. Terza Firestone, whose book, Wounds into Wisdom, Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma, um, is just significant. It's just an incredible book, and you don't have to be Jewish to read it. And in that, I recognized the patterns in my life were not only coming down at a cellular level, but they were coming down through behaviors too. You know, my mom and dad learned how to respond to certain situations and held certain belief systems and, and so on that they picked up from their mothers and ancestors as well. So who knows how far back that's gone. But at a cellular, cellular level, we are programmed. You know, I would, I would venture to say that as a Jew, I'm going to respond much more differently to the threat of of uh, an oligarch, let's mm-hmm. say, than mm-hmm. or, or a dictator like Hitler, mm-hmm. than somebody who isn't Jewish or maybe Absolutely. hasn't gone through diaspora. And, um, and because that is encoded in who we are, it's part of our survival mechanism. You know, Sandy, I, it just it, it just hit me when I when I was thinking about intergenerational trauma. I, I've always thought about this is something to get over. This is something to get rid of. 
but yes, that's true in a lot of senses, but there's the trauma from our past generations also brings with it wisdom. Right. So alchemize is perhaps how I would put it. Yeah. Alchemize it. Embody it because it's who you are. That's another thing with forgiveness. I don't want to forget the stuff that mm-hmm. hurt me. It's who I am. It informs me, but I choose how it, if I'm going to perpetuate the pain or the bliss. Right. I choose the direction to which I stand. I stand either toward the light or away from it. I can choose that. Yeah. Yeah, we have choice. And we forget that. And you can discover that in liminal space. Oh, yeah. I don't have to go that way. Oh, yeah, I have what it takes. Yeah. And that's and and, and I just uh, I, I find that so inspirational and in, in where you where you're going. So so what is on your what is on your your plate forward? Are you going on a, on tour with the book? Are you going on uh, now that we're we're in in April of 2022? We're coming out of a time of intro uh, version where where all where we've had to be inside and now we're now we're getting a chance to rejoin what 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 kind of lessons and and what are you taking where are you going with this particular uh piece of work right now i'm recording the audiobook in some cases i'm saying the sentence over over three times so i'm really embodying the book In a different oh, way. I'm so glad you're reading it because that mean that makes yeah. such a difference to me when an author yeah. reads her book rather than rather than having having an, a wonderfully proficient actor, but especially when it's something that is deeply personal as this. Thank you. Um, you know, the whole book has been that way for me from the cover to from cover to cover. Honestly, it's it's been deeply personal. And I wanted it to be in its highest integrity and authenticity. So uh, although I don't necessarily care for the sound of my own voice, I've been encouraged by many and many saying the same thing as you, that I should read it. And I'm glad I am. I'm glad I am. I'm and then, so glad. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry, isn't that interesting that we would, we would uh, find the sounds of our own voices or the seeing ourselves, seeing our image in some way uh, different. I, I've, I've often felt yeah. Sandy that, that I don't know if you've ever expected a, a, a bite of food to taste a certain way and it just tastes different than what you expect. And it just, and it's just, <laughs> and we, yeah, well, usually when I cook, so. <laughs> Our, well, but I think that's the way it is with our voice because yeah. it goes through our because through it goes through our brain. It's it's different in the same True way God. that when we look ourselves in the mirror, we can never lose eye contact. So that when we see ourselves in a picture, it's a different. It's from a different perspective, so it makes us uncomfortable. But the more we do that, the more that you have this lovely voice that you can continue and let it be, let it resonate with us. The more you're going to enjoy it, the more that you're, we're going to get an opportunity to be able to have your, to be able to have this as you do that. That's tremendous. Right. It feels like something is shifting, something something profound with a human being uh, is is emerging. Uh, we we talked about this before, Clay. You know, when we had on the podcast that that like what would what would an evolutionary imperative 
be? What would it be when we were shifting from this to our next level of evolutionary state? And how would we be the conduits for that happening? We're all midwives. And that's when we all wake up to say, no matter what we do, good or not so good, we're midwifing this. So I would like to believe that where we're going, everybody is going to be in their absolute impeccable integrity, yes. showing up in their divine pur- in their divine purpose, contributing in a gorgeous balance. I believe it. I agree. I, I'm, I'm going back to a previous comment about looking at ourselves in a mirror. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and it, it, it occurs to me that I know that I've learned a lot about myself the past couple of years because of Zoom. Mm-hmm. Because I can see myself. I can watch my mannerisms. And when I record, I can hear the us and the this is and the and so it's almost like a a, a, a self-correcting you know or or getting to know myself from a different vantage point yeah day and what about day what about a, what, what about appreciating your articulous articulation how beautifully you speak how kind you are how the how creative and and blessed that that you are how about that too yeah Thank you. Because that's a really that's a really gro- that's a growth point. It isn't it isn't merely a corrective point. It is very much of an opportunity to be able to see ourselves through the through the lens of graciousness. Yeah. Well, I feel that you know we've been talking now. I mean, over a hundred podcasts. I think I want to ask you though, um, in search of the new compassionate male. And we've been on this journey. I don't have the answer, but we're asking the question. And we're asking it out there, and I'm asking it inside myself. And I can't help but feel like in the midst of all the chaos, all the trauma, all that's happening right now in this liminal space, that really compassion is just right below the surface. And I'm going to speak about men specifically that it's there and it's begging to get out and where everything that we know is to push it down and everything we know is falling down. It's breaking. So with that breaking, the only thing that can come out is our heart and compassion to balance the scale. Well, as a fellow compassion activist, I agree. And it's, it's, you know, action, uh, compassion is, is a noun and a verb, right? It's, and it's, we have a compassion nerve in our body. Our body is wired, as we heard from Jim Doty, our wire, our body is wired for compassion. It's who we are and we've been denying it. Exactly. And it's, it's healthy for us and it keeps us not only alive and in community, but probably help, and I shouldn't even say probably, helps us live longer. I agree. And I think it, every condition. I think compassion could almost be considered the, the rubber band that has been stretched so far in the binary thinking that's happening there. But this ah. undercurrent of, of compassion, that, that rubber band is not going to break. Mm-hmm. It's going to hold, and it will bring mm-hmm. us back together again. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing it happen. 
that's that yes. sprout we can see. You know, that yeah. it is. And so if, yeah. if, what, if what's going on now, Sandy uh, and Claudia, if, if, this, if this seed covering is what is, appears as the, the chaos out there that is happening right now, but what is going to emerge mm. as that seed covering gets down that's 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 it, it feels so strong i i, I so mm-hmm. agree with you sandy that that this is a process of subtraction not addition that we're actually that at our essence we are love uh we are we have this compat that this essence of who we are that we have put these strictures on top of mm-hmm. but as we remove them as we peel this back we get to the essence of who we are and that's beautiful i mean i i look into the eyes of people and i see so much courage and so much kindness and so much the, the, I, I agree with you about the strangers because when you can just look at someone's face even with a mask on Mm. And just smile at them, and this they light up. I know it's going to the world is going to be all right. That's so interesting. With the mask, for me, I've learned to read eyes more than than before, ah. and I've noticed I can sense or I can see pain. Mm-hmm. I can see happiness in the eyes. It, it, it before it was in the whole context of the whole body. But just looking there, and uh, Hmm. it's magical. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's a wild, crazy time. It really is an exciting, beautiful time to be on this planet. And and I feel a huge responsibility to be in in service to it, and um, and finding the courage through practicing these skills finding the courage to with every breath showing up the best I can. And I fall flat on my face. Sometimes I wasn't oh. the nicest I could be today with, with this customer service person on the phone. Yep. I apologize, but <laughs> it's like yep. what was coming out, but we're all human. But one thing we can be sure of that we have control over, and that is um, our integrity. And I can't say this word enough, integrity and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, I consciousness is rising and we're just, we're just growing into a different animal. I believe. I do too. I do too. Oh, Sandy, thank you so much for this time. This will, I'm going to wrap up my portion of this. I'm sure that there'll be some wonderful after show that it'll be going. Um, But I want to thank you for your, uh, for your presence and thank you for the the opportunity to to experience you in real time because there is a there, there is an, an authenticity i feel like i'm seeing the i'm seeing a soul in progress thank you yeah We're, we all have an opportunity to free our soul and that's the only way to do it to live in our bliss yeah Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Sandy. And thank you, everyone who got an opportunity to join us on this episode of In Search of the New Compassionate Male. We'll see everyone back here soon. That was so much fun. You're right. It was the funnest conversation. Well, I tell you, it, it, yeah, I was so, I've been so looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And I'm serious. I've the book has really moved me. And, and you move me, so thank or even. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, it, yeah. I tell you, it's it's a it's an ins- inspiration for me. It takes incredible courage to share on the level that you shared. You hit it right on the nose, and you folded it in. This wasn't. I didn't read this as a vanity book, right? You know, Good. Thank you. <laughs> I really felt like you wove your experiences into something to share, but your experiences were kind of the backdrop to the real message. Yeah, and you know what? what's going, it's so not like knowing what was appropriate to put in the book. I just yeah. listened to my body. If, if there was something rubbing me, and I, w- I don't think I would. This is another answer to to Dennis's question about what am I noticing? Uh-huh. Um, there was a faint irritation going on behind my head with some things in the book, and I'm like, okay, I got to go back and either reread it and calm my nerves or whatever it is, calm the calm the waters, or pull it out and see if I even need it. Yeah, and. On more than one occasion, it required me to remove it completely. I'm like, okay, I don't need to tell that much of my story. Or that's not relevant. It's not interesting. It's getting way too personal. It's not relevant to the story. You know, but it was all about listening to my body and what felt right and what were, was there a rub? Learning how to listen to my body is such a big deal. I've got, I've got happy, mad, glad, and sad. Right. And, and even that is in my head. What does your body feel when you're sad? Well, it feels sad. No, 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 no. What, what's the visceral feeling? What is your body doing? Right. And it's been this past couple of years. And well, I mean, since you and I've gotten to know each other where I've become more conscious of that. Oh, I'm feeling a, my neck is stiff, you know, uh-huh. Oh, those are feelings. Oh, yeah. And I've lost weight. I've lost weight thinking, am I full? I'm full. I don't need any more. (laughs) And I love to eat. I lose weight so I can eat. So (laughs) I, or, or I'm either I'm not hungry or I'm full. And I, uh, I, you know, make my body happy. Um, Oh, my earring. My earring, I put on these earrings. This isn't funny. I ended up not having to take them both off, but my earring was hurting me. And I'm like, okay, I only need to wear it for an hour or so. I'm like, eh, screw that. My ear hurts. My, I, I've got to love my body before my vanity. <laughs> That's why I only had one earring on when I came to the call and my hair was down. <laughs> well, and just learning that, mm-hmm. it sounds so basic and yeah. so fundamental. It really is that easy. I mean, how were we built? We were built with these. We were built with this perfect machine with an alert system. I think I use that expression. We have an alert system. Um, you know, <clears throat> paying attention to my thought, my throat chakra is a big one for me. I once had um, one of the ambassadors at the Charter for Compassion Women and Girls. Um, she had a. She and I had our own conversation, and she goes. She goes, Sandy, you need, and she was a, a, a seer and, you know, really dialed in. And she goes, you need to get yourself a blue 
stone. My, my daughter actually wrapped it in gold so I could wear it on mm. a necklace. You got to get yourself a blue stone because blue is the chakra of, for the throat. And you need to meditate with it right here and ask yourself, what, aren't, what wants to be said that you're not saying? Mm. Or why aren't you speaking your truth? Or why don't you feel worthy enough in your voice? That was huge for me. So I'm always paying attention to my throat. I'm going, is this something I have to say? Why aren't the words flowing? Oh. Yeah. You'll get a kick out of this after my surgery in 07. One of the first trips out that I went on was to a, a rock shop. And I don't remember why we did it, but we went there looking around. And I was trying to figure out, I didn't know anything about crystals or any of this stuff. And I was picking through stuff. So I don't know what to get here. And this woman happened to be standing beside me. She said, well, what do you, what do you, what, what's up? And I said, well, I've had this and this and this, and I got this big scar and it's done, you know, she said, oh, rose quartz. Oh. And <laughs> so I got some pieces of rose quartz. You're going to laugh, but I, t- I taped those to my chest. Oh, I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I taped them to my chest, and the healing, this the scar that was kind of a, a keloid was was forming. It went uh-huh. away, and I've just got this little line. And I crazy. Yeah, there's something to that. I read somewhere. It's been years. It's in one of my journals. Somebody identified twenty five senses as oh. opposed to six. And the one that comes to mind is the sense of what our eyes feel in light, that that's a, that we feel an, a different kind of aching. It's different than if I smash my finger, yeah. you know, if you, a bright light hits you in your eye, you know, and uh-huh. there was a whole range of them. And I was Very wondering cool. when you were talking about the throat chakra, if the throat chakra in itself is a different sense that could be put in the category of taste, smell. Oh, or is my, is <clears throat> when my throat chakra is activated, is it different than when my sacral chakra is activated or my you know whatever uh-huh. other chakras could be activated yeah oh sure yeah. that yeah. there there you go there's more wow so, that's really interesting yeah. as a matter of fact on my kitchen table conversations for liminal odyssey i'm having somebody come and talk about chakras and yeah hmm. wow i um i'm going to enjoy editing this one Check out the latest episode of In Search of the New Compassionate Male on your favorite podcast station.